Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. And Bill, it is a true Ted Cruz, Donald Trump throwdown in the GOP primary two weeks before Iowa. Yeah, it's impressive. I think it started, I guess, with Trump going after Cruz on his birth and, and I think maybe causing enough trouble with that that Cruz felt he had to hit back and he came back with New York values. And ever since, they've been just slugging it out pretty, pretty fiercely and pretty interestingly, I think. And do you agree with the people who say the reason this fight with Trump is different, that the people aren't just disappearing from the front front page, is because Cruz had enough support. He could fight Trump as a political equal, and therefore the uh, punches are landing. It seems to be. I mean, the New York values attack, I, I reacted sort of negatively to it first. I just thought it was kind of a gimmicky phrase, and uh, it was open to a counterattack, which, in fact, Trump ex- you know, executed quite well in, uh, in the debate. Um, and so I thought maybe that was an example of Cruz being very smart, very clever, but almost too clever by half. Instead of just saying Trump will appoint liberal judges, Trump has been pro-choice most of his life. Trump is not a reliable conserv- constitutional conservative, which I think is a pretty strong argument. Uh, he, he went with this New York values thing. I've got to say, I've, I think maybe my first impression, though, or instinct was wrong. Maybe Cruz was being cleverer than I thought, not too clever by half, uh, because he may have lost the first round. I think Trump did very well in the debate on that. But as the discussion's gone on, the phrase is so seeped in, it seems to be, to our political discourse. People make jokes now about Boston values when Tom Brady and the Patriots win or New York, you know, Iowa values and all this. Um, and I do think Cruz has now had an opportunity to develop it a little bit and make the points about the judges and about uh, abortion and other issues. And um, also Trump's counterattack on 9-11 is ultimately a little bit over the top. So I don't know. How do you think it's playing? This seems to be a very interesting debate, which is sort of unpredictable how it's playing out. But I would have said originally Trump looked like he was winning it. I'm not so sure now. What, what do you think? Well, you know, usually I don't have that much to offer to our podcast. But uh, being from South Carolina and having run mostly Republican primaries back in my political days, all of them outside the Northeast Corridor almost, uh, I think this is brilliant for Ted Cruz. This is a no yeah. loser. There is people who are in the northeastern quarter do not understand how they are perceived by the average Joe Blow. And I'll, the example I'll give you is that classic Pace Picante sauce ad from back in the day. Remember where they pick up the jar of the non-Pace sauce? Where was this made? New yeah. York City. New York City. Get a rope. <laughs> the last line is get a rope, and that <laughs> is the average person's response to uh to you know the new york versus the rest of america fight and one more thing to add to that these are gop primary voters everything that's summarized in new york values is antithetical generally speaking to their politics the emotion of the 9-11 appeal will fade but the imprint will be donald trump is what donald trump is which is a liberal northeast republican and i think there is someone from new york running on the other side hillary clinton and it's worth reminding Republican primary voters, I think Ted Cruz would think, uh, what, didn't Trump give money to the Clinton Foundation? Yes. Gee, weren't the Trumps at the Clinton, at the, weren't the Clintons at the yes. honored guests at the Trump's wedding? I think there is, I, I tend to agree, as this plays out, uh, after you get over that initial 9-11 card that Trump played, it probably helps Cruz. And, you know, I don't know, lots of people have gone after Trump, obviously, Rick Perry, Bobby Jindal. Uh, and as Trump keeps reminding people, they've all disappeared from the race. Cruz, this is a real fight, though, and I think it's unpredictable how it plays out. The other thing I would say is I, I have the feeling 
that, I mean, the one hand, you could say, why is Cruz doing this? He looks like he was going to either be in, sailing towards first place or a very close second in Iowa. Why did he need to pick a, point, a fight at this point? Which runs, he runs some risk, obviously, and he wants to pick up a lot of those Trump voters later on, uh, wants to pick up some of them even in Iowa. I think the counter argument is, and I believe the Cruz people think this, and I think they may be right, uh, is that fighting with Trump elevates Cruz. I mean, it makes it about, it, it's now the, the sort of the, uh, you know, the central point uh, sort of of the whole race, you know, the, mm. it, it's, it's the, it's the place where we're talking about it, everyone's talking about it, sort of, and I, to the degree that it becomes a Trump-Cruz race, that helps Cruz. And I do think there's a little bit psychologically now where the other candidates look like the sort of JV candidates circling around while the two heavyweights, you know, doing the undercard right. while the two heavyweights here are slugging it out. Absolutely. That's true. It definitely elevates Cruz. And you can see how this is not helpful in the short term for Marco Rubio, who's left out of this fight. And when you're running against somebody, then you are the alternative. And people have been looking for a Trump alternative. And Ted Cruz is at the moment the, you know, the top standing Trump alternative. But I want to go back to the New York thing, because there's one other thing that I think is relevant uh, Carla Fiorina had a great line in the Thursday night's undercard debate where she said, uh, this is crony capitalism. People like Hillary Clinton using their power to make millions selling access and people like Trump making billions buying people like Hillary Clinton. And that entire transaction they just described happens in New York City, obviously D.C. to a degree. But you say when Bernie Sanders is yelling about Wall Street, he's yelling about New York City. New York City is the anti, if you were going to have a capital of anti-populism in America, it would probably be New York City. And that's this is not a good year to be the anti-populist. Yeah, and especially Manhattan and especially the, the kind of uh, the circles that the, the Trumps and the Clintons mm-hmm. move in. Now, I think that's right. I mean, there are things that, you know, it's not like Cruz doesn't have some vulnerabilities there. Uh, sure. Heidi Cruz, Mrs. Cruz uh, has worked for Goldman Sachs for a long time, worked for Goldman Sachs for the la- first two years of when Ted Cruz was a senator. So it would be fair for someone to say, I'm not sure who would do this, and, and it might have a backlash, but one could say, you know, that Ted Cruz, while he was a senator, his family, good chunk of his family uh, income was coming from mm-hmm. Goldman Sachs. And so. And Trump is mentioning that, by the way. Trump is yeah. talking about that connection. By the way, just a perfect add on to this bill. Sunday morning, Trump is talking to George Stephanopoulos about, uh, you know, the what Hillary's saying, whatever. And uh, Trump goes, Hillary, Hillary, looks like she's winning. But then again, George, you'd know she's your good close personal friend. And George comes back, well, she went to your wedding. And he's and Trump said, well, she must have gone to your wedding too, right? And Stephanopoulos has to say no. The, yeah. The Clintons right. didn't come to his Well, wedding. I don't they were not I don't think they were very happy with George when he wrote a pretty truthful book about life in the Clinton White House in that first term. So I, I don't know if maybe it was a small wedding, maybe they didn't right. invite him. I don't know. Maybe they were busy otherwise. I haven't asked. But but think about that image of here's yes. somebody who at least to the typical person would seem to be pretty tight with the Clintons and there's no Clintons show up. But here's Donald Trump, a virtual stranger who just writes checks and the Clintons show up. And that is who Donald Trump is. And New York's values encompasses part of that. And it encompasses part of his social liberalism. Yeah, I think that's right. Incidentally, speaking of the Clintons, um, we could say a word maybe about the Democratic debate last night, uh, which I've got to say I, I didn't watch. But uh, I'm read- sorry, I have to dispute with you. I, I just want the listeners to know we have not been able to confirm that there was actually a Democratic <laughs> primary le- a debate last night. No one can confirm a sighting. There is no record of it anywhere. But uh, go ahead with your theoretical point. Nonetheless, there are transcripts allegedly floating around. That it, I, I mean, Sanders is a serious challenger to Hillary, and her strategy for beating him back is to wrap herself around President Obama. She's running for Obama's third term, 
in a way that makes sense. Uh, Obama's very popular with Democrats. But even Democrats want to change. The right track, wrong track number, and you've run these races, you know how important that number is usually. Uh, more Democrats by small margin think the country's on the wrong track than the right track, despite seven years of an Obama presidency. I suppose they would blame the Republican Congress and all that. But um, still, if you're running just for continuity and people th in your own party think the country's think continuity is not good because the country's on the wrong track. It's a problem. And I was very struck by the health care debate. Uh, Hillary wrapped herself around Obamacare. She's defending Obamacare. Sanders is saying, look, I voted for it, but we can get too much better from a progressive point of view. And of course, Sanders in a way is right from their point of view. What does it mean to be a progressive? It means you do something in 2010 and then you do the next thing in 2017, right? That's the, you keep progressing towards right. this utopian future. And uh, you and I don't believe that that's a, a very good worldview, but it is their worldview. And there's something sort of self-contradictory about Hillary saying, I'm going to defend that piece of legislation that Obama had to make a lot of compromises on from a progressive point of view to get passed in 2010. I really think Sanders could beat her in Iowa and New Hampshire. And I, I am not so confident as everyone else that her firewall in South Carolina holds and that she sweeps these other states. I really think at that point you're in a totally – you know, un, you're, we're in totally uncharted waters on the Democratic side, too. And something that Republican uh, voters need to uh, keep in mind, and most of the Weekly Standard people obviously are, are Republican, the Democrats have a different schedule. We're going to have yes. our Nevada primary uh, before, uh, I mean, after South Carolina. The Democrats are going to have their Nevada caucus before South Carolina. And I don't know anyone who thinks that the caucus system will benefit Hillary Clinton. You know, it certainly didn't benefit her in 2008. Well, with the Bernie Sanders feel to burn kids like my college age daughter who absolutely loves him, you know, they're they're champing at the bit to go stand in whatever line they have to stand in and and surf their iPhones while they wait for the chance to vote for for Bernie. Yeah, I guess the Democrats, South Carolina primary is a week after the exactly. Republicans. Exactly, it's a, so it's, a, it's so the twenty seventh. So it's seventeen the, days after New Hampshire. Yeah, and also brings up three losses in a row for Hillary is a realistic probabil possibility before you get to South Carolina. Three losses in a row. Yeah, that would be something. I mean, I, I think both races are so. Uh, such, such uncharted waters. And again, what is Sanders? Sanders is exploiting something of the same thing on their side as, mm -hmm. as Trump is on the Republican side, which is total dissatisfaction with the status quo, lack of confidence that regular politicians who say they'll change things will change things. That, I think, is Trump's by far his strongest suit. Um, and I guess it's Sanders' strongest suit, too. And it's hard to believe, but it would be I mean, kind of unbelievable if Trump, what if, what if Trump and Sanders both win the first two when Iowa and New Hampshire, that is not out of the question. That will be something. That will be a, a moment in American politics unlike any, I would say, in our adult lifetime. So the only question left then, Bill, is will we be sitting on the same plane with Bill O'Reilly when we fly to Ireland, or will we have to charter another flight later on? Because, you know, he's announced that he's going to move to Ireland if Sanders is elected president of the United States. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, he has. I was, well, I, I might just go to Israel or something like that, <laughs> where I have the right to return, you know, and I can at least support. Then I can be happy supporting Bibi Netanyahu, you know. I mean, maybe we'll need to import Netanyahu into the U.S. to run as a third-party candidate if we get Sanders and and Trump. But anyway, I don't look. It seems extremely unlikely that Bernie Sanders will be the next president. But I do think this is a year in which all the rules seem to be being broken. It is interesting. Someone made a good point to me. This is kind of a weirdly European. Sanders and Trump represent a failure of American politics, I think right. it's fair to say. I mean, and if, uh, Sanders is kind of a failure of conventional American liberalism. 
Trump, I'm sad to say, may be a kind of failure of credibility, a loss of credibility of uh, more traditional American conservatives. We had a lot of people who you and I would have thought were well-qualified conservative governors, senators mm -hmm. running this time. And some chunk of the Republican primary electorate is saying, at least for now, no thanks. We don't trust them to get done what they're going to do. We have a socialist on the Democratic side running and a kind of nationalist, nationalist populist on the Republican side. That is much more like Europe, actually, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's a healthy thing uh, for America to have this kind of politics come over here, but that may be the situation we're facing. And our system isn't designed for it because we don't have a parliamentary system. And uh, what we've seen under Obama is abandonment of the uh, separation of powers by Democrats, particularly in the Senate. And I don't know if our system can work if the Congress is going to view itself as a parliament to the president, whoever that person is. And so I think the, I think what you say about Obama that's, has been extremely one of the things that's really energized Trump. I mean, if you're a Republican out there, conservative out there, Republicans have been saying they're going to stop Obama from doing all these extra legal, extra constitutional things for years. They've been ineffectual doing so. And the rest of the most of the Republicans say, and I agree with this, we've got to restore the Constitution. But I think a lot of voters are frustrated and say, well, forget that. I mean, why don't we just do on our side what they're doing on their side? Let's get someone in here who's going to make things happen, build that wall, not, not get it bogged down in some congressional committee. So uh, Trump is benefiting from the frustration at Obama's success. I agree completely. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for your time for today's podcast. We appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.